Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore will be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. Hey, everybody. I am here uh, with my friend Carlos Rodriguez. Um, Carlos, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm going to do it again. Full name. Carlos Alberto Rodriguez Ortiz Rivera Pagan Burgo Pardo Garcia Caquier Nazario. Everybody can call man. me Carlos. That's fine. Just Carlos. We appreciate that. We appreciate <laughs> that. We were just talking before the recording that um, that's his real his real name. And tell that's us my full name. how that happens. Yeah. So basically, for my dad is from a town called Jauco, which is in the southwest of the island. And that's a way that, you know, you keep the mother's, the father's last name, mother's last name. And then you keep adding as long as you can from grandparents and great grandparents. And it's a, it's basically ancestry.com, Puerto Rican style, 1934. So that's the way <laughs> we kept, you know, kept knowing who's our cousin and who's family. So and cool. it works. I met people, you know, in the States that carried a similar last name from a similar, we found out that we were cousins, which is pretty cool. Bro, that's amazing. So cool. Yeah. Well, if you don't know about Carlos, Carlos and I got connected through a mutual friend. I'm um, actually pastor friend Raleigh. Um, but, uh, I've been a fan of Carlos's for a long time, really benefited from your work, um, you. your Twitter account too. You know, you're, you're a hype tweeter for sure, man. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to start with a little bit of bio of Carlos, if you don't know much about him, and then ask him to share a little bit of his story of how he kind of got to where he is today. Um, sure. So Carlos is a passionate speaker who leads the happy nonprofit and the happy givers, which we'll talk more about those in just a second. Um, he's the author of Simply Sunship, Drop the Stones is a great book that I have right here, an upcoming book called Flip the Tables. Um, his main passions are leading the Happy NPO, which is the nonprofit that he leads that is supported by the Happy Givers. Some of y'all, I, I rep this shirt a lot. This is an old Happy Givers shirt, Flip the Tables of Oppression. Um, sure. And then I know a ton of y'all who have stickers and shirts and all of that kind of stuff at our church restore. Um, so, yeah, you, you've infiltrated Austin, Texas, for sure, with the Love Happy Givers stuff. Uh, so he leads the Happy NPO, uh, the Happy Givers. Um, he spends time with his wife, Catherine, their three adorable children, and he wants everyone to know that he is a Puerto Rican living in Puerto Rico, and he cannot wait to host you there. There it is, baby. Love it. So, man, that's your bio, but um, obviously there's a lot more to it than that. Could you give us just kind of the short version of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, you guys are wonderful, beautiful church, and just feel hopeful that there's people like you out there. It's lovely. <sighs> Um, and so basically I grew up in a very broken home, alcoholic father, abuse, both my parents in their second marriage. And so, you know, my mom had some history with the assemblies of God. My dad had some history with the Catholic church, but we really weren't church people. We didn't go to church. We knew brokenness. We knew pain and abuse and all this stuff. 
But in a really bizarre way, Zach, my parents taught me the gospel without knowing it was the gospel, I guess, or maybe they did. But at our table, no matter how messed up everybody was, no matter how much we were hating each other, we were always welcome at the table. And so I was never allowed to call my half-sisters half-sisters. My sisters who were actually stepsisters to each other were never allowed to call each other stepsisters. I call my dad's ex-wife mom and she was involved. She's in Christmas photos just as much as my mom was in Christmas photos. And so in a really bizarre way, I grew up knowing that no matter the worst of the worst, we're always welcome. And we're always there, Carlos Alberto Rodriguez, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's welcome. And so all that to say, when I actually hear the story of Jesus, it just made sense to me. Um, I guess the benefit that I didn't carry all the other baggage of what the story of Jesus means, maybe in an American context or in a Western context, it just made sense that here is God making room for everybody. And at the table, we can have discussions and we can have arguments and we can say, get behind me, Satan. But we're always <laughs> welcome at the table. And so, you know, I had the classic evangelical. I went to the front in the Billy Graham crusade, say yes to Jesus, Amazing. start going to church, get baptized, go through discipleship classes. Um, and then I end up in Toronto, Canada at a very charismatic church that was happening over there early 2000s. I decided to stay there, get ordained there, meet my wife there, and then planted a church with that organization in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's where I meet Justin, our mutual friend. Yeah. Uh, but then Hurricane Maria happens. And it was almost like I went back to basics to the table is open for everybody. And actually, there's people at the table that are hungry, literally hungry right now. And no matter how much I tell them the good news of the gospel, actually, the good news is food when they're hungry. And actually, the good news yeah. is a roof when they don't have a roof to sleep in. Um, and so yeah, we started the nonprofit, moved our family to Puerto Rico. And that's where I am right now. That's amazing, man. Oh, that's mm -hmm. amazing. Can you tell a little bit more about what you guys do and kind of your focuses at the Happy MPO? Yeah. Great question. Um, number one, hosting people from Austin to come to Puerto Rico and help us do all the work that we're doing. That's the number one thing we do at the Happy Nonprofit. Um, no, but we have we have a social kitchen, mostly feeding the elderly. Um, unfortunately, that is probably the most marginalized, forgotten um, um, group in Puerto Rico right now. A lot of people left Puerto Rico, a lot of people with talents, young people with jobs, with degrees because the situation was so terrible and their parents or grandparents were left by themselves. So we feed a lot of elderly people and not just feeding, but like we, we have this big thing on dignity. Like there's, it's not just a meal. It's like a healthy meal developed by a nutritionist. That's good for your age group. It's not just a healthy meal, but like, do you have a microwave to reheat it later? If you want to eat yeah. it later, do you have a table where you can actually sit and eat your food? Can you lock your door so you feel comfortable inside your house? Is there, and so there's this whole concept, you know, kind of like a checkpoint of dignity that we try to do with our families. We also do it with single mothers, um, um, elderly people with disabilities. And so we're, we're intentionally, I have a social worker that sit actually at this desk. We're intentional about finding the most marginalized within already a marginalized community and to see how we can serve them for the moment while dreaming for development for the future. So it's a, it's kind of like a mix of like relief for now. And then how do we develop a system that's actually supportive in the community for the next 30 years? 
Wow, that's beautiful, man. I love that. I'm so grateful for you and your work, man. Oh, thanks, um, man. Thank you. I love the uh, the idea that you grew up in this home where the table was central and everybody had a place at the table. Actually, mm. the, the thing that we repeat all the time, kind of our, our vision mission at Restore is that we want to be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So that yeah. is so central to who we are and what we do, that idea of the table and everyone having a seat. Um, and the idea that we all uniquely bear God's image and we bring perspectives um, and, and we're better when we're diverse and we're better when we're together. And one thing that I love so much about you and your perspective is that you have, like we all have amazing stories, but but you have this really interesting intersection of mm. growing up in Puerto Rico, um, getting saved to the Billy Graham crusade, and then kind of <laughs> moving into a little bit of like the white evangelical world in Canada and the States, right? And now back yeah. in Puerto Rico. And so mm. one thing I've heard you talk about a bunch and I want to dive into for our time together today um, is how the idea, like kind of the traditional white evangelical or Western church idea of like missions and mission trips are often done in ways that do more harm than good, yeah. actually. Yeah. And so yeah. could you kind of talk about what that means and then maybe help us reimagine what missions and advocacy work could look like that is Christ-like and, and others focused? Yeah, that's lovely. And it's an important question. It's a question that I'm constantly finding myself in conversations like these podcasts and Twitter and wherever. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a tension that I don't think has a perfect balance, to be honest with you. And I say that from here, from a place where we're hosting teams at least once a month. I host teams sometimes from the most classic white evangelical conservative churches that come to Puerto Rico, and I'm hosting them here. And I'm part of these conversations in this space about when helping hurts, and the white savior mentality. And then at the same time, I'm here where we need help, where we need money, where we need hands, where we need volunteers saying, please come, please come because we need help. And so those, both of those conversations are valid. And I think sometimes we fall too much on the, let's talk about it so much that we don't do anything. And then other times, let's not talk about it and just hide it and just pretend like it's not a thing. So I appreciate all that to say, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of explore a little bit this, especially with the church, right? Um, Because that's mostly who we host. We host a lot of church teams. And I have to say, I want to say it's either 22 or 23 teams. And when I'm talking teams, some teams are 12 people, some teams are 40 people that have come to Puerto Rico since Hurricane Maria. Um, Some of those teams have been super skilled. And those are the best ones when we have like a carpenter or an electrician, a plumber, we can actually do some legitimate work to dignify, you know, the people's spaces where they live. Some teams are just like young people that just, you know, can barely paint, but we teach them how to paint. (laughs) We get them mowing the lawn. We get them helping around. Um, But again, going back to that, the, the, the importance of how you come. So what I'm trying to say is don't stop coming is be aware of how you're coming, right? How do you arrive? How do you, How do you present yourself in a context that's not yours? And how do you take off that illusion that somehow you're a savior, that somehow you know more, that somehow you're more blessed or more anointed, that somehow even that you're more privileged. It's insane that even the word privilege, when we talk about, which is an important, another important conversation to have, when we talk about privilege in terms of wealth and money, which is a kind of privilege, but we got some privilege in Puerto Rico of how we do family. We're very That's privileged right. of how we take care of each other. And so it is so important to be aware of how do I present myself? How do I arrive 
at a location that's not mine, at a community that's not mine. And, and that's the main thing. I'll take off the assumption that I know more, that I have yeah. more. And even in the spiritual context, I'll take off the assumption that I'm, I'm bringing Jesus to this place, yes. Yes. which is an illusion that I live, that I preach, that I, I'm going to the nations and I'm going to take Jesus and I would end up in what I assume were the darkest places. And that's actually where I would meet Jesus. And in the spaces where I was, you know, in the green room, in that special place in the back with all my past <laughs> friends that are super important. And those places where I never felt God, where I felt the furthest away from the actual story of Jesus. And so it's not about do you come or shouldn't you come to Puerto Rico? It's how are you coming to Puerto Rico and in what spirit, in what heart? And I have an advantage, Zach, and it's that I'm a Puerto Rican. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, it's not a concept, love thy neighbor. Like these are, these people are actually my neighbors. Right. I drive by their home. I shop in the same supermarkets. I visit the same, you know, my kids are in their schools, right? So I'm actually serving my actual neighbor. And so when teams come, I get to host them as a local leader who actually feels the pain of the local situation. And I think more of the conversation needs to be about not just whether you come or not come on missions trips. It's more about who's leading, who's actually the voice that is leading the conversation, the work. Because when we empower the local communities and the local leaders, we realize, number one, Jesus was already there. Actually, way more than we assume. Number two, hey, we can actually learn so much about resilience, about hope, about faith in these places we assumed they weren't. Um, and then number three, there is that element, right, where we actually have some sort of skill, some sort of input that we can bring, um, but it comes from a place in humility and willingness to serve as opposed to literally like colonization, spiritual colonization, um, yeah. which doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you guys, doesn't help us. And so being aware, I think, goes a long, long way. Oh, that's huge, man. And, and I love that you you said the at the end about, about colonization. Um, one thing that I, I, I wrote down that you tweeted a while back, mm. um, you were talking about mission trips and missions, and you said, colonizers, colonizers come uninvited to establish their rule. Friends come when invited and serve. And I just I think said that's, that. You said that, bro. I yeah, say right that again. again. <laughs> <laughs> I said, are it you was, sure I said that? <laughs> I found the tweet, man. I found the tweet. No, it was... Yeah, I think that's a that's a perfect encapsulation of what you're talking about. And really what it talks, it, it starts with humility, right? It starts mm. with taking mm. off these assumptions that we know better, that we are mm. better. Um, and and I think that's that's why we've really at Restore tried, we, we work with about 11 different kind of nonprofits all over the, the city and then around the country. Um, oh, yeah. And the idea is that they are all people that are rooted in communities, right? They're, they're the people oh. like we're being able to empower mobilizing funding and people to these places. Right. Um, and that's why I love what you're doing so much, man, is because you're, right. you're literally rooted there, right? Not even right. just currently right now, but historically with your family and all of that yeah. stuff, man. It's yeah. really, really beautiful. Thank um, you, okay. Shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about, I, I, I love drop the stones. Um, this book is is all about the the woman caught in adultery in John eight. It's kind of the premise for it, and then yeah. uh, Carlos unpacks it a lot more. This idea of of whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Um, mm. But you you in this book, I think you talk about something that 
was convicting to me. And I think it will probably be convicting to a lot of people who are at Restore. So most of our folks um, come out of, you know, maybe kind of a, a traditional white evangelical background, um, even if they're not white, um, just kind of a, a background sure. that's been really influenced by white evangelicalism, right? Um, sure. And so rethinking a lot of different things, but there can be this pendulum swing right, to where um, you're kind of so focused on uh, all the things that white evangelicalism has, has done wrong that you become a stone thrower yourself. And so you talk about this. You talk about how you were so committed to helping those outside the church and those who've been hurt by the church, yeah. you accidentally became a stone thrower toward people inside the church. Yeah. Right? And so many of us have done that. I, I, I feel that. I, I don't do that anymore, Shaq. Never. You're out of that, which is Oh, great. I don't do that. Church, don't believe what he's saying. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's such a classic pastor move. You know, I struggled with with lust 25 years ago, but I conquered it you know, and everything. <laughs> so how did you find yourself in that place? How did you recognize it was happening? And then what have you yeah. done since then to kind of continue to combat that, that stone thrower mentality that all of us have? Yeah, uh, I have to say intentional proximity helps. It's not the mm. full solution. Sometimes there's an illusion that proximity can fix everything. Oh, we're yeah, just yeah. in proximity. Now, um, Judas was in proximity to Jesus for a long time. Anyways, yeah. proximity helps. It helps me, right? Intentional proximity. Because once a month, I have teams, mostly from churches, come to Puerto Rico. Yeah. I have the advantage that they're coming to my home, to our space, to our nonprofit, wearing our shirts, et cetera, et cetera. But still, they're coming with, you know ideas that I challenge intentionally. Yeah. Um, and at the table, literally at the picnic tables that we have out here when we're eating rice and beans with avocado and sweet plantains, there's no doubt that the conversations have a different tone, a different starting point when we're just facing each other. There's been times, so 23, 22 teams that we've had, two teams have actually kicked out. Wow. I've gotten to that point um, specifically a team from Texas. Sorry, Texas. Um, <laughs> we're all, awesome, so it's different, you know? Yeah. They're, okay, awesome. okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're not like those guys. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, uh, there was a team from Texas that after the earthquakes, people were living inside of tents outside a hundred thousand people all over the Southwest of Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, that story got lost because pandemic started like a month after that. There's still a lot of need in the southwest of Puerto Rico because of major earthquakes that we had. And they were so passionate about the, the people inside the tents that they kept taking the cameras inside the tents. And wow. there's no dignity in what they were doing or how they were doing it. And I continually challenged them. We had to stop at the top of a mountain so they could get the drone out so they could film themselves praying to stop the earthquakes. Um, wow. and, and so there were so many of those uncomfortable interactions and I'm okay with those if you listen. I'm yeah. okay with those if you're willing to then me saying, bro, that's just not even close to right. how we do it culturally, even theologically, like right. let's have that. But no, they kept pushing. And so I actually, you know, had to kick them out. That's just one story. All the other stories have been going back to the whole stone throwing to the churches. Yeah. Wonderful teams from very conservative churches, from more progressive churches, um, Christians that come that don't go to church anymore, Christians that go to church but are doubting everything that they hear, Christians that are fully committed to the church and they will live and die for the church, and a, a, a huge range of people that have come 
And for me, proximity has been helpful. It's not the full solution, but it is a good first start. And so I think if I would have just stayed as a talking head posting stuff on Twitter, I would have gotten to the point where I've been able to justify my stone throwing to churches, to the church in general, which in itself is a ridiculous generalization because I'm fully exposed in the global South to churches that are like, I have the benefit that most people don't have that are trying to deconstruct, maybe if that's the language you want to use in America, that we, I grew up in a Catholic context that believed in liberation theology. Right. And so yeah. that I, the first memory I have of being in front of a computer, and this is an, it's insane that this is my first memory in front of a computer. I went to Catholic school. I was in, I think third or fourth grade, just before moving to the States. I lived in the States for two years when I was younger. Um, and the nun that was in charge of computer class, I love computer class because we, is the only room in the whole school with AC and it's very hot in the South of Puerto Rico. (laughs) And so computer class was awesome. And there was kind of like learning how to choose A, B or C with a little test, right? So like multiple choice selection. And the question was this, does God prefer the poor? Hmm. And my little brain was saying, no, he loves everybody. And so I kept choosing, no, it's everybody. And it was like, "Eh, eh, wrong. (laughs) And the nun, I remember coming to me, he's like, no, he does. He prefers the poor. And you had to choose God prefers the poor. And I've been on a journey since then to really understand Jesus had to prefer the poor because it's the best thing he could have done for the rich. Jesus had to prefer the unchurched, has to prefer the unchurched because that's the best thing he could do for the church. He has to leave the 99 to go after the one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is supporting me to preach good news to the poor. The audience has to be the most oppressed, the most marginalized, because that's the best he can do. That's actually the most loving thing is to tell the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. That is the best case scenario, the best invitation. And so back to, I've had to realize my calling in that sense, personally, in the context of the gospel is the oppressed and marginalized, the poor. What I say on Twitter, what I actually live out nine to five, what I do at home with my family, with my neighbors, I have to choose the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, the broken, because I'm one of them myself. Yeah. And these are my people. And because it's the best thing I can do for Restore Church in Austin. That's right. Yeah. Without without falling into the trap. You guys are over there. You know, yeah. you're useless. You don't matter. No, because I want you to come and I want you to come help me. And I want you to have right <laughs> to meet. And then we can have the conversation face to face at the picnic table just out there. Man, that's so beautiful. I, I love that you're walking that line because I have seen um, and, and fallen into the temptation myself, but I've seen quite a few people that, you know, I think I would look up to, we would look up to um, that yeah. have, have moved yeah. fully into the stone throwing. Um, yeah. And and it's it's difficult, right? Even like somebody who's doing direct care, who's who's, who's doing incredible sure. work in Puerto Rico, somebody who's pastoring a church in Austin, Texas, who sure. I, I want to be like, I'm on your team. Um, yeah. but I feel like we're at odds all the time and that's mm. hard for me kind of a thing. Mm. But I think the idea of, of proximity and understanding God's preferential, preferential option, um, mm. I'm hugely influenced by like Gustavo Gutierrez and liberation Good. theology and stuff. Um, yeah, man. So there's a, Come have on. you read, um, have you read Brown Church, the Robert Chow Romero book? Um, oh, man. okay. So it's so good. It's 500 years of, uh, five centuries of Latino, Latina, social justice, theology, and identity. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's fantastic. Talking Brown about central church. South America, Brown church. Yeah. Robert is a, 
an awesome dude in, in California. Um, but yeah, if, if you're watching and you are interested in diving a little bit deeper into um, like an overview of kind of Brown Church, Latino, Latina, social justice work, all of that, Brown Church is mm. great. A great mm. book for that to go deeper into some of the stuff Carlos was just talking about. Um, you're living it out, man, which I think is so beautiful. Um, and I'm just thankful for it. Um, and one way that you're doing it, which I think is is brilliant, um, is the way that you leverage social media and the, you leverage the happy givers. Like literally, I, I'm wearing one of your shirts. I've got three or four more in the drawer at home. We've got a sticker table in our office that's covered with happy giver stickers. I always buy the multi-packs, you know? Uh, so. Thank you. My wife, you know, got shirts, she's bought them for us, um, a bunch of people in the church. So, but, but I think you guys, better honestly than anybody I've ever seen, you leverage social media and, and like merch basically for higher Jesus-centered, gospel-centered justice purposes. How did that come about and, and how do you continue to like, you know, keep up with that all the time? Yeah, um, it's hard work, no doubt about it. It's it's brutal. It's worth it because we are creating jobs in our community. Yeah. Uh, and we pay well and we have lunches together and we do, you know, it's part of the work that we do. It's part of the same kind of concept of bringing dignity to a home. It's bringing dignity to a whole community. Um, we hire local people and we find local suppliers, local vendors. There's no doubt about it that we cannot be Amazon. We can't fulfill yeah. orders as quickly, um, yeah. and we're constantly having to manage that whole customer service side. Um, but it's totally worth it um, because because we because when I say I'm selling something, I wouldn't doubt anybody going like, "Are you really turning a tragedy into a shirt? Are you really turning right. such an important topic into you know a, a you know a, a, a phone cover or a hat?" <laughs> I can do it confidently with passion. And with certainty, because I know the step from this is the conversation that initiated this statement that became this shirt that is being printed in this place, hiring these people to then the money going back to the work that we're doing. If if one of those parts wasn't what it is, I probably feel uh, like, really, am I really going to promote <laughs> a shirt says, you know, X, Y or Z in this moment? Yeah. And so it helps. And I did it because I did not want to depend just on donations. And as a pastor, unfortunately, especially in more of the charismatic Pentecostal circles where we do the offering talk for an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> on a good Sunday, um, I just, I was repelled by all that concept of having to beg, having to chase a crisis in order to turn it into yeah. a fundraising effort, having to man use spiritualization for manipulation, I just wanted to stay as clear away as possible because I am trying to be more self-aware. When I was a pastor in, in the States, uh, this is a bit of a random thing, but when I was a pastor in the States, I my, my second son, um, there were some complications in the belly with my wife. And so we had a lot of time at home. We had to rest a lot. And so we went through the office, for those of you that have seen Michael Scott in the office. Yeah. And as I'm watching, that's back when the office was in Netflix, um, yeah. those good old days. And when I was watching the office, I had this like maybe season three or four as we're going through it every day. I had this moment of realization, like I am Michael Scott. Like I am this <laughs> pastor assuming that I have the greatest message business product. And I have a mug that says world's greatest pastor. I assume people see me as like their dad and they're we're all really family. 
the lack of self-awareness in Michael Scott is what I realized myself as a pastor and a lot of my pastor's friends in the States were like so unaware that the product we're selling, people don't need it or don't want it anymore. We're assuming that we have this great family and really they're just there because they get paid for being there. And so I had that realization and it just challenged all these things in me. And all that to say, turning some of the messages that I was delivering and people were really connecting some of the tweets into a shirt that in a dignified way created jobs and brought funding for the work that we were doing just in a weird way kept me aware right kept me like okay i need to make money in order to spend money for things that are worth my time and my money and so that's where the happy givers came that whole concept of you know the cheerful giver in spanish yeah. is more the happy giver el dador alegre and so that happygivers.com was born so we could fund our children's home that we have in Peru. We could fund a children's home that we used to sponsor in Ethiopia, where our daughter, we adopted our daughter from that children's home in Ethiopia. And then when the work started here in Puerto Rico, it was just a no brainer to print the shirts here right next to the kitchen where we're cooking for people right next to the house where we're hosting our teams when they come. And it's kind of an ecosystem of hope that takes a lot of work and inflation is killing us. Truly, it's brutal. The profit margin just went. But man, for our people, for our community, it's worth it. Man, that's really incredible. I love the intentionality of every step has a purpose. Every step has a, you know, connected back to the overall goal, man. Hmm. Um, Just continue to be impressed by you and what you guys do. Um, Okay, so besides, you know, getting a crew together and coming to Puerto Rico, which I would love to do someday, man. We are so down. Do it. Uh, how else can we, people watching this, people engage, how can we support you? How can we pray for you? Thank how you. can we um, support the happy givers and the happy NPO and all the incredible work that you're doing? Thank you for the opportunity. Seriously, thank you. Um, yeah, number coming is the best. Coming to Puerto Rico, visiting us, actually joining us. It, it is the number one thing because once you're here, you see what is actually happening. Yeah, I, I feel way more comfortable saying, give us a donation. When you've yeah. actually ate the food, when you've actually delivered the food, when you've actually seen the roofs that we're rebuilding. Um, yeah. And so right now, the main thing we're doing um, is where we have seven acre farm that we sell sod from. And we're turning two of those acres into a community garden. So right now we're planting, we're doing hydroponics, aquaponics. Uh, we're planting plantains, avocados. We're planting lime trees. We're planting all sorts of stuff. And so any support towards that specific fundraiser that we have right now for our gardening is amazing because we're in the process of that. And of course, if you buy something from the happygivers.com, that comes to us, that comes to this. Um, This is like a container because we're doing container homes. Um, Yeah, it's kind of the way to do it in the Caribbean. Um, It's cheaper, it's safer, both for hurricanes and for earthquakes. If you do it right, um, solar panels and rain catching system. So the whole concept of sustainability, um, not just spiritually, emotionally, but actually literal sustainability of our yeah. food source and our water source. And um, so, yeah, the happygivers.com is where you buy something that goes to us. Happynpo.com is where you find our different fundraisers, whether our children's home in Peru or the work in Puerto Rico. And just being here in Puerto Rico, you guys are more than welcome. We have a house that was donated by an NBA player, Kyle Korver, who played with my Kyle Korver. There's yeah. Jesus and there's LeBron James. And Kyle played with LeBron James, so that's as close to Jesus as anybody. Kyle Corver came here because he wears our apparel, and he donated this house, like literally. 
in like three days, he's like, you need that money? Boom, here's the money. We bought that house cash. We can host up to like 30 people in that house. It's right next to our campus. It's right in the middle of town. And, And yeah, so being with us in any way, whether with a shirt, whether with a donation or whether actually being here in Puerto Rico, we'll take everything. Beautiful, man. Well, we can't wait to to jump in. Hopefully, I'll see you in Puerto Rico at some point. Um, yes, but in the meantime, we'll try to get everybody engaged with the fundraisers and the merch Thank and all you. of that Thank stuff. Um, we believe in you. We believe in what you're doing. I know you're carrying a lot, man. I know that you're um, not even just carrying a lot because of the hard conversations you're having you know, globally all the time, but the incredible work that you're doing on the ground. And um, so, man, I just want you to know that we, we're sending love to you. We're praying for you. Um, and uh, yeah, man, we're around for whatever you I need. It. I receive yeah. it. Thank you. We got Thank your you. back, man. Well, would you mind closing us with just a word of prayer? Love that. Would love that. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people, this wonderful church that declares so much hope to the world in these times. Thank you for the pastors and the leadership and the volunteers and every child that comes and every elderly person, the whole community. I pray that in this very moment, the spirit of God, the spirit of the sovereign Lord will come upon them and anoint each and every one of them to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind and to declare the favorable year of the Lord for Austin and the favorable year of the Lord for Puerto Rico, the favorable year of the Lord for Texas and the favorable year of the Lord for the Caribbean. I pray that as a church, as a community, each family would be anointed to do the work that truly matters, that truly is in your heart. And I bless them in Jesus' name to prosper in all their ways and to relearn the ways to do family, to do table, and to continually invite each other for the good times with Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you, brother. I appreciate you you so much, man. We'll see you again soon, okay? Hopefully in Puerto Rico. Yes. Do it. All right, man. Bye-bye.